Wow. Good morning. Happy Easter. He is risen. I, I tell you, I don't know if I've ever been more excited about the privilege I have to be able to preach this Sunday morning. I am so jacked and excited about the good news of, of this resurrection of our Lord. Awesome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for, for joining us this morning for this uh, awesome celebration. We join with a couple billion other Christians this morning that, that hold the conviction that this day, that this celebration of Easter, that that cross and resurrection of Christ is the greatest moment in history, <laughs> that it's the hinge point of history. And so we celebrate today with great joy, and I hope you were able to enter into the joy. We started the service with rejoice on purpose, because it's a good day. Uh, Friday, we talked about uh, the triumph of the cross, and uh, before Friday, I hadn't figured out what my sermon title was going to be this week, so I just borrowed from that. Ben spoke on Friday, the triumph of the cross. This morning, it's the triumph of the resurrection. So to do that, to, to think about the triumph of the resurrection, we're going to look at the Easter story, uh, the account that's portrayed in Luke chapter 24. It's this amazing chapter. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, don't worry. We'll put it on the screen. It's a, it's a pretty simple chapter to outline. There's 53 verses. In verses 1 to 12, we have the women at the empty tomb. We have verses 13 to 35, the appearance of Jesus to these disciples that are on the road on the way to Emmaus. In verses 36 to 49, the appearance in Jerusalem to the disciples. And then in verses 50 to 53, we have the ascension of Jesus. I'm going to read to you, and you can, like I said, follow along on this, this most wonderful of passages. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright... The women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who, held, who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in, in word and, and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. 
But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They, they went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the, the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they argued or urged him, I should say, strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And while, while they were still talking about all of this, Jesus himself self stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and look at my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you and I have, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so, that, so they could understand the scripture. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name in all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. May God bless the reading of his word. Um, I, I think it's just such a great portrayal. I, I, I don't think we've ever here at Hillside read the, uh, the, the whole account of, of one of the Gospels. But, and we're not going to be able to unpack all that we just read this morning. But based on some of the inspiration of one of my favorite speakers, uh, Timothy Keller, we're going to look at four themes that run through this chapter, four, four messages. And, and they're this. The resurrection is a shattering historical event. The resurrection is a key to understanding all of Scripture. The, the resurrection gives us a powerful message for the world and that Jesus is the true king. First, the resurrection is a shattering historical event. Um, you may have heard the joke about the uh, group of guys who were asked the question, when you're in your, in your casket 
and you're lying there and your friends and families are mourning you, what would you like to hear them say about you? And one guy, would, would, he, said, he said he was a, a doctor. He said, I'd like to be known as one of the great doctors of my day and a devoted family man. Another guy said, you know, I, I've been a school teacher. I, I'd, I'd love to, be, to, to hear them talk about how I was an inspirational teacher who, who shaped the minds of, of tomorrow. And, and then this last guy, he's, he's thinking for a minute, and he finally says, I'd like to hear them say, look, he's moving. <laughs> kind of funny. <laughs> Somewhat. <laughs> kind, of, kind of absurd, because actually, you know, resurrection is one of those things that we kind of chalk up into the category of impossibility, right? And unfortunately, the dead tend to stay dead. And so in light of this seemingly incontrovertible fact that some people and even some Christians, when thinking about the resurrection of Jesus, have thought of it as more of a symbolic idea. As in, after Jesus' death, his disciples, kind of like Darth Vader, they felt his presence. But I'm bump. Come on, guys. <laughs> Stick with me here. They somehow experienced this sense that he was with them even though he was gone, that he was there somehow. And as time went on, others began to, to kind of express this in story and, and kind of write it down as these resurrection stories. And, and so in that way of thinking, resurrection stories get explained away as, as legends or, or symbolic expressions of some higher spiritual truths like forgiveness or life or love. The, the trouble with that, and I, I've told you this before, is the accounts just don't read this way. I mean, I love it in Luke 24 where you have Jesus. He appears there in front of his disciples in their, in their midst. And he says in verse 39, he says, look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. By the way, I'm going to do that when I come into the house, when I come home after a long day. It is I myself. I, I love that line. It's very repeatable. Touch me and see, Jesus says. I am not a ghost. A ghost does not have flesh and bones like I have. And then Jesus says, most famously, do you have anything to eat? I'm famished. You don't know what my weekend's been like. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it. Let, let me ask you, what higher truth is being represented by, you know, Jesus eating fish and chips with his disciples? The message of, uh, of that text is, is that Jesus is saying, I'm not a symbol. I am, I am really here. I, I'm not a ghost. I'm not just kind of some impression in your mind or, or some spiritual presence. I'm, I'm here, flesh and blood. Touch me, feel me, poke me. Give me something to eat. That, by the way, is just so, it seems like such a trivial, you know, little detail. Kind of silly almost. Why is it there? Because it happened. The whole chapter, by the way, has this feel of, of eyewitness testimony. We, we've talked about this before, but there's a, a lot of evidence, evidence that these Jesus accounts aren't the kind of thing you would make up. Let me, let me just give you three reasons from the, te the text that we have. Um, one of the main reasons is what we see in verses 1 to 12, where we see that the first eyewitnesses to the empty tomb were women. And you may know that women in that day, uh, it hasn't changed entirely in our world, unfortunately, but women in that day especially had such low status. In fact, a woman could not testify in court. They, they were, were not considered to be credible 
witnesses at all. <laughs> so if you're making up a story, if you're making up a legend about the resurrection of Jesus, you would never put women in there as the first eyewitnesses. It would totally undermine the, the account you were trying to portray of the people in that day. So, so the only reason Luke would have put women in that story as the first eyewitnesses, if indeed they were the first eyewitnesses. There's no other motivation to put them there. And then, and then as scholar Richard Bachman points out in his book, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, these stories, including Luke 24, they just do not read like religion. They don't read like vision literature or, or legends. They, they read like historical accounts. This is not how legends were written, including all these kind of historical details, like, like the names of people in, in, in this chapter. I mean, the women at the tomb, you've got Mary and, and, and you've got Mary, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joanna who are there. And, and then the, the disciples who are walking on the road, Cleopas was one of them that was named. Why would those names be in there? Well, Bachman would say these were like in, in, in historical records of that day. This was like a footnote. It was like, a, it was like actually an authenticating, uh, giving credibility to that story because he would say, it'd be like saying, you can go and talk to these people. Go talk to Cleopas if you really want to know if this happened or not. Why do we not know the other disciple who was on the road? Could be he was dead by the time this was written. But Cleopas is still around, as are Mary. <laughs> Magdalene and Mary, uh, the mother of, of James, and, and Joanna. These people are around. Go talk to them. Find out for yourself. You can fact check this. And then on, uh, one of the most remarkable pieces of evidence is something that I think we might, just in our day, kind of skip over as we read the text. In verse 52, it says, and then they worshiped him. Now, why is that any kind of evidence? Here's the thing. Jewish people in that day would, would have been the last people on earth to be open to the idea that a human being could be God. I, I mean, they had this entire worldview, and, and in that, and their worldview, God was, was transcendent and great and awesome. I mean, they would not even speak the name God out loud. They'd be the last people that ever think of as a human being as God, but here they are at the end of the story, they're bowing down and worshiping a man. How did that happen? Well, something blew apart their, their worldview, their, their paradigm. And, and you know what it was? It was a historic fact. They saw him. And, and here's the point. The resurrection was not preached in the early church as a symbolic representation of higher truths like we, we ought to forgive or we should believe or, 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 or we got to find hope or something like that. Here's how, here's how Timothy Keller puts it. He says, the resurrection was preached as a hard, bare, terribly irritating, paradigm-shattering, horribly inconvenient, but impossible to dismiss facts. Facts are facts, aren't they? I remember, I, th I think my mother would confirm this, I'm not sure, but my, I, I remember my dad saying to me from time to time, usually in the context of a parental lecture, uh, Face the facts, son. Face the facts, right? <laughs> we, we, we do that with facts. What are you going to do? You, you know, you don't have to like a fact for it to be a fact. It's it's facts. What do you do with facts? You 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 accept it, you know, because it's it, it is what it is, right? Well, this isn't the way our culture works right now. We live in the days of likes and dislikes. 
You know, we live in the day where, where we've got Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat, all these kind of things. We, got, we, we, we like, 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 like. We don't like. We unfriend, unfollow, right? That's how we kind of, it seems like we make decisions these days. Um, a few weeks ago, we were looking at uh, the life of Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. And, and Saul was famously offended by the whole Jesus story. He, he, he hated it. I mean, he, he was offended by the gospel, the very idea of, of Christianity. And one day he was on the road to Damascus. You can read this account in Acts chapter 9. Saul saw Jesus raised from the dead, and suddenly it didn't matter whether he liked it or not. You know, it didn't matter about his likes or, or dislikes. It was a fact. It's true. And it doesn't matter how he feels about it. But folks, that is not how we approach decision-making today. We, we, we kind of uh, consider an idea or a thought, and we decide whether we like it or dislike it. And, and you know, I've, I've met people over the years who, uh, who've been offended by Christianity in some way, shape, or form. They, they, they've said, There's, I, I could never be a Christian because there are parts of the Bible that offend me. Maybe, maybe to do with sexuality or, or money or fill in the blank, whatever it might be. But, but here's the thing, whatever offense we might have against the Bible or whatever resistance that we might hold to the message of the Bible, the Bible points to the more important consideration of what happened to Jesus. If Jesus was raised from the dead, we have to deal with everything in the Bible. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we don't need to give a rip. We honestly don't need to worry about it whatsoever. You see, you see, Paul, he was more offended by Christianity than almost anyone ever. So offended he was killing Christians. That's pretty offended. But, but when he realized that Jesus had been raised, it didn't matter that it offended him anymore. It didn't matter because it was true. It's called facing the facts. And, and the fact uh, of the resurrection is a paradigm-shattering historical event. It was for Paul. It was for those first disciples. And I'd suggest that it ought to be for us. The resurrection is a game changer for everybody because if it's true, if Jesus is raised, then we gotta pay attention to what Jesus said about himself, about who he was, and about his call on our lives. That's point one. Second theme is the resurrection is the key to understanding all of scriptures, all the scriptures. We see this in, in what the angels say to the women in verse six. They're saying he's, he's risen, and, and, and then he says, remember what he said? He told you the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified on the third day and be raised from the dead. And it says, and they remembered Jesus's words. The resurrection helped them understand Jesus' words. That's the beginning. And part of the, the, the triumph of the resurrection is, is how the things Jesus said and did in his life suddenly didn't sound so outrageous and crazy anymore. And, and of course, there's just this brilliant scene on, scene on the road to Emmaus. We got a chance to walk that road a few years ago. And, and, and and these disciples, they're walking along with Jesus. He's their, their traveling companion, and he does, they don't even know it. That Jesus, the risen Jesus is right there. And, 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 and as I was thinking about that this week, I thought, that resembles my life a little bit. You know, I, 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 I've come to believe that Jesus is with us always. 
but oftentimes I'm walking on my own road to Emmaus and just oblivious that he's there. Like I just don't notice. And, and, and it's kind of key for us to remember. I, I, I was talking to a guy on Good Friday who was here and kind of discouraged about his life. And, and he said, uh, I'm kind of afraid to leave this service because I don't want to be alone with my thoughts. And I said to my new friend, I said, listen, you're never alone with your thoughts. God is always with you. He goes with you. The risen Jesus is walking along whatever road you happen to be on. That's an aside, but these two guys, they're walking along and they speak to Jesus. They say, our chief priests and our rulers handed Jesus over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped they would, you know, that he would redeem Israel. <laughs> he was crucified. We thought he was going to be the Messiah. And, and Jesus turns around and offers him, I, I think, a gentle rebuke. How foolish you are. How slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And it says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. You see, the resurrection paired with the cross makes sense of and opens up all of scripture. It certainly does with the cross. That, you know, it helps us make sense of the cross and why Jesus had to die. Um, we had this great Good Friday service on, on Friday where we specifically reflected on the suffering and the death of Christ on the cross. Always one of our most meaningful services of the year. And we celebrated the Lord's Supper. Some of you, you don't call it that. We, we sometimes call it communion. Uh, some of you might call it mass. Uh, but it's a, an intentional time where we take uh, bread, usually, or a cup. Maybe for you, you, you had a wafer placed on your tongue. But an opportunity to reflect on on all that Jesus did on the cross and the suffering he did on our behalf and the, the forgiveness of sin that is offered to us. Um, as I was thinking about it, I, by the way, here at Hillside, we, we practice communion about once a month. Uh, and that's the tradition I grew up with. And I actually, because my dad was a, a pastor, um, I went to church every Sunday for my whole life, pretty much. And if I wanted to get out of that gig, I chose the wrong profession, really. <laughs> But I, I, I remember our church allowed children at a very young age to take communion. And, and I think that's a good thing, actually. I think you, you, you sometimes learn it in your heart, uh, tactile, tactile. I mean, we, we ingest it as we grow and it becomes part of us. I think that's a good thing. But, but uh, I remember as a kid, you know, eating those. And I loved communion Sunday because we had these like little, I don't know what they really were, but they were like almost like shortbread, tiny squares melt in your mouth, and then I would stand at the communion table, and I would, I would do some examining of which is the fullest cup, and I, I was hope I, I looked for the one that was just permanent, and I, 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 I would suck that right back. I mean, I, that's, I, I thought it was snack time in church, but I was thinking about it, and, and some of you, you, you part of tradition where you, you take communion every single Sunday. For, for me, it was once a month, and, and so in my lifetime now, I, I figure I've probably been part of, participated in a communion service something like five or 600 times. And I was thinking, I still can't plumb the depths of that event. The cross is so good. The message is so great. It, it's so profound. It's so mysterious. It's so scandalous. Uh, it's so outrageous. I, I, I think you could take a thousand lifetimes and you couldn't read all that's been written 
about the cross. It's, it's that good. But here's the thing, the cross of Christ makes no sense whatsoever without the resurrection. Without the resurrection, the cross would not be a marvelous victory. I mean, without the triumph of the cross becomes a triumph after the resurrection. No resurrection, we wouldn't have even heard of the cross. Without the resurrection, we wouldn't think of it as a, a paradigm-shattering, profound demonstration of, of God's love and compassion. Without the resurrection, the cross would have been senseless. A heartbreaking end to what we might call the Jesus movement. And then think about this, that Jesus Christ, the, the Messiah. Messiah is, is a term that meant anointed one, or it could mean chosen one, or beloved. A Messiah was, was blessed by God. But here's this Jesus, supposedly the Messiah, dying on a cross in the worst of deaths. I mean, Jews of that day would have quoted Deuteronomy in, 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 in the Old Testament and that the cursed is a man who is hung on a tree. So how could this Messiah be a blessed guy when by definition he, he's dying the kind of death that made a statement cursed by God? Wouldn't make sense. But Jesus raised from the dead. If he's raised from the dead, what does that say? It would say that God vindicated him. That God indeed was pleased with him. That he was, and, and blesses him. And, and here's the thing, if God does love him and is blessed and is pleased with him, then when he was cursed, he must have been cursed for somebody else's sin rather than his own. You see, the resurrection just kind of opens up this window to the meaning of the cross, the profound meaning of the cross. Uh, and suddenly the rest of the Bible begins to make sense. You've got all these things in the Old Testament scriptures that you, can be so confusing, like the, the sacrificial system and the temple and all those things. And, and you're, you're wondering, you know, how, how can the, the blood of, of goats and lambs and bulls actually atone for the wrongdoing of a person? I always wondered that as a kid. How does that make sense? How can it atone for someone else's sins? Well, what if it was pointing to something else? What if it was pointing to Jesus? You, you, you can look in those places in the Old Testament where it talks about this, this new covenant that was to come, where it seems that, that God would be, be talking with people face to face, and, and, and also where, where he would write his law on their hearts. It's almost like there's no need for a priest or a temple anymore. How do we understand that? Well, in light of Jesus, it, it begins to make sense. Jesus becomes our priest. And by God's spirit, his people become the temple, the holy resting place of the very presence of God. It always reminds me that, that God is much closer to us than we think. You see, once you get the resurrection, the, the, the cross makes sense. In fact, the whole of the Bible is, is open to, up, up to us. I, I mean, those disciples on that road, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us as he opened the scripture to us? And then starting at one end and going to the other, he opened the scripture, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And at the very end, he says, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So when it comes to, to Scripture, Jesus seems to, seems to be saying here, it's, it's all about me. It, when, once you see the resurrection and the cross, it's, it's all pointing to me. And, and, and it doesn't matter. Uh, by the way, I don't think every single verse is about Jesus. But, 
But all, when you realize the, the great plot lines of scripture, salvation and rescue and, and redemption, they all converge in Christ. How in Jesus, he's the, the ultimate unexpected savior who comes at the cost of his life and he gives you the opposite of what you deserve. How can we not see Jesus? Which means you can never read the Bible the same. Some of us need to go back to the beginning of the Bible after reading the end of the story and, 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 and see what it says. I, I've heard it explained this way. It's like seeing the film Sixth Sense. You, you, can, you can't just see that film once. You gotta, if you've seen it, you gotta see it twice because it's got this unbelievable ending. And after you've seen the ending, everything else in the film gets reinterpreted by what, what happens at the end. And, and so it's impossible to watch the film a second time without thinking about the ending and how it changes everything. And, and that's the same thing happens in Scripture. Once you know how the story ends, you can never read it the same again. You can't help it. And so the resurrection opens us up to all of Scripture, I'd say, which opens us up to the way God wants to relate to us most intimately and passionately to all of Scripture. And this leads us to our third theme, the resurrection is a powerful message to our world. As we read this passage this morning, the first moment that anyone hears this news or finds out about the resurrection, they take it to somebody else. You saw in that clip the, the, the two disciples running from the tomb. I love that. But nobody sits on this message. I mean, right, right away it says, verse 9, when the women meet the angels, they, they came back from the tomb bursting with the news to share it with the disciples. And then these, these guys on the road to Emmaus, as soon as they find out it's Jesus, they, they jet back to Jerusalem so they can share it with the, with the other disciples. And of course, at the very end, Jesus says, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Witnesses of what? The resurrection. <laughs> And, and you know what, folks? That knowing th about the resurrection gives you a message for the world, a message of hope. Well, what kind of hope? Hope for a future, a hope for a future that is certain and a hope that is unimaginably wonderful. Uh, here's what I mean by certain future. Would you not agree with me that we live in an uncertain day? I mean, folks, we live in the age of Trump. This is going to be something. I think we're going to have T-shirts that we'll wear after Trump. It'll be, I survived Trump. I mean, somehow. And whatever you think about him, I'm just thinking, I think everyone would agree. It's like, whatever follows this guy, it's kind of chaotic, right? It's uncertainty to the max. And there's all kinds of things we're uncertain about in our day. And by the way, it feels that way in every generation. I'm old enough now to know, to, to know that, that it was like that when I was a, a, a five-year-old, and it is the same today. Things never seem to get any more certain. But this is the problem. That, while this life doesn't seem to promise certainty, I haven't met a soul who doesn't long for certainty. I haven't met a person who wants something that they can count on, that's something that they can hold on to, and then when life gets difficult and life gets challenging or the clouds come and the darkness is there, what we want more than anything is, is to know it's going to be okay, that we can count on something, but we don't know sometimes in those places. 
I think Martin Luther nails this. He says, suffering is intolerable if you are not sure of your salvation. I think what he means by that is unless you've got something you can never lose, you'll always be insecure. Unless you're sure that in spite of the challenges that you're going through and the flaws that you have, that God is not giving up on you and that he is with you forever, suffering is intolerable if you're not sure of that future. But you can be certain. Why? Because of the resurrection. A friend of mine just a while back was telling me about uh, a hard time that he was going through. And for this guy, it was pretty much the darkest of days. I mean, it was not um, cloudy with a chance of meatballs. It was like cloudy with a chance of hurricanes and volcanoes or something like that, right? This is what he was going through. And I think all of us have those days. I mean, days where the temptation is not just to lose hope, even to despair of hope itself. You've been there? I mean, been through seasons of your life where it was so bleak where you go, I, I, I don't think there's a future. I mean, I, I've been through that. And yet, God says, I know, actually. I know, he says. The future is certain from God's point of view because if you believe in Christ, if you are in Christ, your future is resurrection because God in Christ has resurrected it, has experienced it already on your behalf. You're resurrected. It's already happened. It's just going to unfold now. It's a sure thing. It, it means you can travel through this life with, with hope. I mean, <laughs> hope you won't be defeated by your most difficult days. And hope that you won't be, you know, destroyed by your own mistakes, your own sinfulness and pride. In the cross, Jesus bore the brunt of it all. He, he absorbed it into himself and paid the price of justice for all our sin and rebellion and stubbornness. And the resurrection is the validation of what he did there and what he offers to us. If you know me at all, you know I get, I, I, I like movies a little. A little. Uh, and I get inspired by movies all the time. My family was trying to tease me the other day. They said, I don't think there's a movie that dad hasn't cried in. I'm the, I'm the crier. In fact, when, I, when any kind of scene that gets emotional comes on the screen, my whole family in unison turn like this on the couch <laughs> just to see what's going on. Thanks for the checkup, son. That's so kind of you to do that. I hate that, by the way. Um, last year, uh, the most inspiring scene of any film I saw last year was kind of a surprising film. It was from Wonder Woman. And uh, I cannot, I've seen this one scene several times now, and it chokes me up every stinking time. <laughs> I, I'm going to show you it in a moment. I, I saw it in the first service, and I thought, surely I'm inoculated to the emotion of this by now, but no, I'm like sobbing while I'm, you know, getting ready to... But, but it's this amazing scene. Uh, Wonder Woman, um, by the way, Christ figures come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and Wonder Woman looks like Christ in, in parts of this movie to me. And in this particular scene especially, uh, Wonder Woman has, has, has come to believe that her mission is to end war. And the great war was happening in the day of World War I, and uh, 
She's heard of a village that's on the other side of no man's land in, in, in enemy territory. She's heard that they've been enslaving the villagers and, and that they're suffering greatly. And she's like, we've got to do something. And, and, and her companions are telling her, we, we can't go, it's too difficult, you can't go there, and on and on and on. And she goes, she jumps over the, just, just bravely steps into it. And I want to show you that scene. So uh, just a heads up, uh, it's an intense uh, battle scene. And, and so uh, close your eyes or ears if you have to. But, but I think, uh, see, if, see if it captures your imagination a little bit and reminds you just a little bit of Jesus. Let's watch the screen. We cannot leave without helping them. These people are dying. Nothing to eat, yeah. and in the village, enslaved. I, she said. I understand that. Women, we, we need children. To make our next position by How can you say that? What is the matter? This is no man's land, Diana. It means no man can cross it. All right. This battalion has been here for nearly a year, and they they barely gained an inch. All right, because on the other side, there are a bunch of Germans pointing machine guns at every square inch of this place. This is not something you can cross. It's not possible. So what, so we do nothing? No, we, do, we are doing something. We are, we just, we can't save everyone in this war. This is not what we came here to do. It's what I'm going to do. Again. 
Oh, man. I thought I was, I thought I was not going to do it this time, and then, you know. What, what a picture of what Jesus did. I mean, he draws all the fire of all our enemies' bullets into himself. I mean, it's, it doesn't quite work because he doesn't die there, but, but he does. He draws, draws it all, takes it, and suddenly you see the, 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 the friends around being able to join the fight. You know, I, I think of, of how we're called to, to jump out of the trenches. One of the implications of the resurrection is, is, is we get to join Jesus in his battle against evil and suffering in our world. And he calls us to, to do our part, to, to, to not just stay back there, but to go. And, and here's the thing, because of the certainty of the resurrection, we don't have to be afraid. We, we, we can be fearless because we know we have a certain future. Because of that, that promise of, of life eternal, we, we don't have to, 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 to be worried about the, the bullets that come our way, whatever they might be. Christ, we have a certain future as we follow our Lord. And, and folks, we have a hope in a future that is unimaginably wonderful. Because according to Scripture, that because of the resurrection and the future that is available through Jesus, you and I can know that we will never be parted from love. We'll never be parted from love. And you, know, you know what, folks? More than any other craving you have in this life, more than ever any other longing you have, I, I, I think our core longing is to be loved. And God... It, it, because of the resurrection, we are assured that we'll be never separated from the love of God. I mean, they tell us that again and again in the New Testament, that we'll never, nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing. Never will I leave you or forsake you, Jesus says, to you and to me. So Friday, uh, it was Good Friday. It was Good Friday for another reason than just Jesus' death on the cross. It was my birthday on Friday. Jesus deemed to share a significant birthday. I turned 50. Can you believe that? 15. I know. I couldn't believe it myself. <laughs> you, you thought 40, didn't you? Um, I, like what my, uh, I like what my one friend said in a card. You're halfway through your current posting. I like that. that, that that's assuming I live to 100. I hope so. Um, but turning 50 was kind of a big deal because I've been kind of living in light of my 50th birthday for a whole year because it's been like this countdown's been going on in our, our house. My wife has just not let me, since I turned 49, she's not let me f- forget that I'm going to be 50 very soon. So, you know, the, like the Olympic, you know, countdown clock in Robson Square, you know, that kind of thing? That's been like living in my house this last year. It's actually a relief to this morning that I'm actually 50. Finally, I can stop hearing about it every single day. But earlier this week, I was, uh, like Monday or Tuesday, I was kind of reflecting on this impending milestone, and I was, I was feeling it one morning, I was just thinking, I, I ought to reflect on this a bit, and I was thinking about it, and uh, I, I'm thinking, man, I have like four days, three or four days till my birthday, and I began listing the things that I had wanted to, 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 to do or to cross off my list by my birthday, and I realized there's all these things undone, and then I thought of the kind of man I wanted to be, and I was thinking, man, like in terms of character, there's some, I thought I would have been stronger by now. And then I was thinking about my physique, <laughs> and I had hoped that I would be the fittest 50-year-old ever. 
and I'm close. <laughs> if I don't breathe. Just so not true. I, I, and, I was, and I was reflecting, and as I was kind of doing this life tally, I was doing some R&D. Do you know what R&D is? Regrets and disappointments. <laughs> I, was, I was doing some R&D in my life, and I realized I got, I got some significant regrets and disappointments in my life. And so you know why I, I and, and by the way, I had this great moment. It, it, was, it was really cool what God did on this morning because I, I'm kind of moping here and feeling this. And it's like, on a, it was a very rainy day and suddenly the sun broke through into my heart and it was abrupt. It was like God wasn't gonna let me mope. And, and it's like he said, you've got so much to be grateful for. And he's like, I'm here and my love for you is never going away. And, and my love for you has nothing to do with your R&D. Nothing to do with that at all. Nothing can make me love you more. Or make me love you less, God said to me this week. Probably wants you to know that too. You don't have to be turning 50 to have these revelations. That's what I'm saying. Maybe you do. You know, I, uh, I don't know about you, but... Uh, one of the things about getting older is, is your body begins to break down, you know? Like, I haven't experienced that personally, but some of you know what that's like. Um, but, uh, like, I actually shave my head. I could grow hair if I wanted to. Um, but uh, any of you admit to being humbled by your own body, like, just a little? You know, like, uh, on Friday, <laughs> uh, Ben said, our bodies seem to have a mind of their own, <laughs> don't they? <laughs> like, they, they really do. But you know, that's, that's why I'm so, so happy about resurrection, because you don't just get your body back. You get the body back that you never had and you always wanted. And with resurrection, you don't just get your life back. You get the, the life that you wanted but never had. You know, I, I know that there are, are people in this church who, who've never married, and, and maybe it, it, where you're at right now, you're going, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to get married, and that's, that's something I've been, been really wanting. I've wanted it my whole life, and what you might be tempted to say is, maybe I will never have that joy. You know, you know what the resurrection is? Jesus is walking proof that you will miss nothing. <laughs> There's going to be a wedding feast someday, and it's going to be your wedding feast. And, and, and there may be those that, because of their, their faithfulness to Jesus, you know, they, they've chosen to live a celibate life, to, to not let their, their sexuality or their sexual experience define them. And, and so because of that, they're, they're kind of feeling somehow like they're, they're missing out or you're kind of grieving that loss. Resurrection means that you will miss nothing. What's waiting for you is, is far greater than anything you could have ever craved of in this life. And what about those of you who, whose opportunity seems to have passed you by? I, I wonder about the kid who's, whose grades didn't quite measure up, and so they, the door to that particular school was closed. Or, or, or the, the, the worker who has worked their whole employment history, never quite achieving what they wanted to achieve. It seems like opportunity is lost. Or, or, or the newly retired person who, who's kind of going, I, 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 I thought I'd feel more fulfilled at the end of this. Like, what do I do for the next 20 or 30 years of my life? I, I feel so unfulfilled. And, and folks, the resurrection means you're going to miss nothing. It's going to all come in the future. 
fulfillment beyond our wildest dreams. Amen? Folks, there's no religion. There's no faith. There's, there's no philosophy out there that has ever offered the world this kind of future. There's, there's no more powerful message of hope available than the hope that is offered through Jesus, and it's based on the resurrection, the historical fact of the resurrection. Don't you want that? Why wouldn't we want that? Here's the last thing to say, and I'm just going to quickly wrap up. Twice in this, in this passage, Jesus refers to himself as king. That's what a Messiah was. You know, he, he does it in verse 26, and he does it again in, in verse 45. And the final words of this passage have Jesus ascending. He's, he leaves his disciples. He ascends in, into heaven. And we're told in other scriptures that, that he's there now seated at the right hand of the Father. It was an image of kingship. It was an image of rule. And the the disciples did what is appropriate when in the presence of a king. We're told that they bowed down and worshiped him. It was so beyond them. It was so out of character from their background. (laughs) But the resurrection was so radical. Jesus was such a person, such a king that they did. They fell to the ground and bowed their knee because they discovered Jesus was who he said he was. The risen one, the ascended one, the king. Now here's the problem for us, because bowing the knee for us doesn't come so naturally. We've got this uh, thing called the human condition, this original sin, if you want to call it, a, 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 a kind of a root pride that kind of says, I know better than God. <laughs> we got this, uh, this idea, a way of looking at the world that, that says, I want to choose I, I, what, I, what is right or wrong for my life. I want to I live my life based on my likes and my dislikes. I don't want to bow my knee to anyone. And, and, and I think, quite honestly, we, we generally don't bow the knee to anybody. It's almost, for those of you who have been longtime Canadians, I would say it's part of our wiring. We left the home country. <laughs> we came here so we could live that, this independent life. But, but here's the thing. Here's how C.S. Lewis articulates this. He talked a lot about this, by the way. He said, ultimate reality is you are made to be ruled. And if you don't acknowledge Jesus as king, you will serve somebody. You will bow the knee to somebody. We don't know it, but I, I, think, I think it's true. Lewis says, human nature will be served. And, and if it doesn't get food, it will bow to poison. We need a king. And, and, and we will serve somebody. Why not Jesus? <laughs> why, why not bow the knee to him? Because I, I, I argue there's been no king ever like Jesus is king. There's no one like King Jesus. Bowing to him means obeying him. That is to say, treat him as a king. Do whatever he says, whether you like it or not. Treating him as a king means trusting him, accepting what he sends into your life, whether you understand it or not. Treating him as king means relying on him. Don't say you believe in Jesus when really you're getting all your self-worth from your career or from your, your, your grades or, or from your family or from your bank accounts. If that's where you're getting your self-worth, then that is your king. Make Jesus your king. 
And I'd say this, you can expect great things from him. He's the king, he's the Lord, he's the risen one, and it makes all the difference in the world. Can we say it one more time this morning for me? Maybe a couple more times. He is risen. 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 Amen. Uh, bow your heads with me. Let's pray. We're, team's going to come up and we're going to sing in a minute, but let's pray this morning. Father, I, this morning, I, I, we are so grateful for the paradigm-shattering historical reality of the risen Jesus. This is a fact that, that, that we can build our lives on. It's a fact that we can hold on to and, and, and lean into God. We want to do that today. We believe that it changes everything, that you're, you're here now. You're with us this morning, Lord. You're with us wherever we go. We're so grateful, Lord, for Jesus as we walk along the road of our lives that, that you promised never are we alone. Always you are near. We, 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 we have hope, God, because of that. Give us eyes to see. Open up our understanding, not just to, to your reality with us, but, but to your word. I pray that, that you would open up scriptures so that, they, that we know what you're saying to us, God. We might be able to live according to your word, God. Jesus, Lord, we believe the resurrection is the best news. Uh, Lord, you've given us a message of, of, of hope, of certainty, and a, an, uh, and a future that is un, unbelievably wonderful. Help us to, to, to hold on to that. Help, help that. Help use that knowledge to, to, to cause us to be brave in life, to actually to step out and, and join Jesus in his work to redeem this sorry world, God. You have plans for this world, and, and we want to join you in that great work, Lord. We can do it because you take all the fire. And Lord, help us come to trust the fact that you're the king, and that you're the best of kings, and that there's no master like you. Uh, other things make us slaves, Lord, but you are the king who, who brings us life to the full and joy. May we come to that place where we trust you this morning as king. And maybe this morning there's, there's somebody here that, uh, you know, you've never really, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. <laughs> uh, and, and I want to just tell you that, that uh, this is not a heavy lifting kind of experience. It's something that any of you can do. In a sense, all you're doing is saying yes to God, yes to Jesus, what he's done for you on the cross, paying the price of your sin. And that because he rose again, you can experience new life in him. That he'll actually begin revolutionizing your life from the inside out. He'll transform your heart. It's not, not a big deal to do this. All, all it requires is, is actually the opposite of that prideful spirit, that, 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 you know, that condition that we inherited from Adam and Eve. It just requires us being humble before God and saying, God, we need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life? Would you lead me? I want to be your temple. And, 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 and God promises that the prayer prayed in faith will make that person whole. And so if you want to do that this morning, you just say, yes, God, I want, to, I want to follow you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Give me a clean record.
and he'll do that. So King of kings and Lord of lords, we now bow our knee to you. We give you the worship that is due you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.